Good evening. I'll begin tonight in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. The Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, who was a gospel preacher. Much of what Paul wrote to Titus concerned instruction Titus was to impart to his brethren. Very similar to what you find in First and Second Timothy. When Paul wrote to these local preachers, there was great emphasis on what they were to do to edify those who were Christians around them in the local church. And here's part of that in Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Salvation from sin is offered to all people by a gracious God. Those who accept the offer by obeying the gospel are to also accept training from God through His Word, training that enables one to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, training that builds self-control so that the one trained can be upright and godly in their life after baptism and until they die. As this training continues, the blessing of hope provides long-term endurance, and what made this all possible? Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Paul told Titus, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. We're not going to talk about all of this tonight, but there's one part I want to deal with, and it concerns the subject of zeal that ought to be a lifelong commitment each of us maintain. The phrase here is being zealous of good works. And in this passage, being zealous of good works is an outcome. It's a product of being saved by grace and trained by grace. As you accept God's offer to be saved from sin, and then you continue to rely upon God and His Word and the example of His Son to be trained by the same grace that saved you, one outcome is to be more and more zealous for good works. So we're going to take up that subject tonight, and I have some very specific destinations that I've not covered before on this subject. 
If you were here in 2013, you may remember that we spent a month of concentrated study on the subject of zeal. And I'm going to review a little of that that has been sort of revised to take me to the practical destinations I have for tonight. Sometimes when we work with definitions, it is helpful to go through a process of elimination and talk about what something doesn't mean. And that can help focus our mind on what it does mean. And I did something like this back in 2013, but I've revised it some and I want to use that process of elimination again. What zeal is not. Knowing what it's not can help us understand what it is and what we ought to do about it. Zeal is not just raw militants. In the time of Christ, there was a group of men, sometimes they came out of the Pharisee tradition, who were so bitterly antagonistic toward the Romans that they were called zealots from the term zeal. And in Vine's Dictionary of New Testament words, in his comments about Simon the Zealot and that expression, the zealot, in Acts 1 and verse 13, Vines talks about the zealots as men who nursed the fires of revolt and revenge. It wasn't just that they were opposed to Roman domination, but they were plotting to overturn Roman domination in any way that they possibly could. Not all, but many of the zealots were willing to die to kill Romans and restore what they perceived to be rightful Jewish power. They were violent, and they would talk violence and had a revolutionary agenda, and they would advocate just any methods, however inhumane or sinful or wicked, to destroy all the Romans and bring back their power base the Jews. These men were consumed and passionate and zealous, but out of control. It was raw abhorrence and carnal militants. It wasn't pure zeal for God. So rule that out. Zeal is not just agitation and annoyance. It is understood that Christians are upset about the direction of society and the direction of the nation. Good and healthy interest in the Lord's will and the Lord's work we see diminishing in many places. And we arrive sometimes at a state of annoyance, being annoyed and agitated, righteous indignation. When those feelings develop in us a negative bitter spirit when our joy is buried under agitation and we crush others with our raw bitterness, that isn't zeal for God. Paul said, do all things without grumbling and questioning in Philippians 2.14. And he said in 1 Thessalonians 5 in verse 14, be patient toward all. So zeal is not just Raw militants, it's not just 
agitation or annoyance, and it's not blind optimism. There are people with such a positive nature, they never see anything that's wrong. And they refuse to call evil, evil. Sin is not clearly acknowledged. Everything and everybody is okay. That's not the zeal of the Christian. Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So I'm saying in the early part of our study tonight that in defining zeal, it may help to clear away distracting, ill-conceived ideas. Get those eliminated. Zeal in the biblical sense for Christians is not raw militance and violent intent. It is not just agitation and annoyance that becomes bitter and discouraging. Zeal is not incurable, blind optimism. Zeal is your personal burning desire to please God. Zeal is your passion for what God wants of you. It is energy that comes from your knowledge of who God is and what He has said. It isn't a vague, generic excitement about religion in general. Zeal is fuel and energy that has a source in your knowledge of who God is and what He said. We know who God is from creation, from revelation, and we experience the joy of being obedient to Him. And that knowledge of the true God and what He has said turns into energy and action to obey Him and be zealous for good works that God has said we should walk in as described by Paul in his letter to Titus. Zeal, properly understood, is enthusiasm about the things of God. The things of God. If you have something you think is biblical zeal, but upon examination it is directed to men and celebrates men and glories in the <laughs> innovations of men, <clears throat> that isn't biblical zeal. If you're excited about the programs of men, the numbers and the money and the marketing, some of the things I brought up this morning, you may have passion, but it isn't biblical zeal until you have passion about the things of God. Our text in Titus defines zeal in terms of our interest and our devotion to the good works that God has prepared that we should walk in, the works of God. Zeal is your burning desire to please God consistently. Zeal, in the biblical sense, is not something that flares up every now and then. It is consistent. Our personal burning desire to please God consistently. Zeal in the New Testament is not something like a fever you get for a few days, a fire that flares up and goes out just as fast. It is not a temporary mood. Followers of Christ are serious, committed, growing people who are zealous for good works as a way of life, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. So here's what we've done to lead me to some points I'm going to make in conclusion. 
We've eliminated the wrong ideas about what zeal is. We've highlighted the biblical reality of zeal to ground our concept of zeal in Scripture. As a product of one who has accepted the offer of salvation and has been trained by the Word of God as a disciple of Christ, we are zealous for good works. Now, I promised I was headed somewhere. I'm almost there. I'm ready to deliver on that promise by asserting that zeal is commendable. However, now what I'm fixing to do is give additional clarity to what we've been considering up to this point about what zeal is. And there are three points that will get me to my destination. Zeal is commendable, however. Zeal for evangelism is commendable, however, it is betrayed by inactivity. I'm going to tell you a story I've told before about the preacher who was in a meeting somewhere and he visited a brother's house and everywhere in the house there was fishing gear. Everywhere you turned. There were pictures of people fishing on the wall there was fishing tackle everywhere. There were books on fishing in the man's library. In every room, everywhere you turned, there was something about fishing. And the preacher looked at all this and immediately said to the man, Looks like you are really interested in fishing. The man said, Oh, I love fishing. His face lit up. He said, I, I just love everything about fishing. I love to study fishing and read about fishing and, and, and have pictures of people fishing. And so the preacher said, well, let's go fishing. And the man said, no, I don't go fishing. I just love the subject. And I love all the gear that's associated with it and all the books that are written about it and all the pictures of people doing it. And the point is, there are people who talk evangelism, criticize a lack of evangelism. They're fluent in all the language of evangelism. They're familiar with all the tools and methods of evangelism but they never talk to people about the Lord. Zeal for evangelism is claimed, but it is betrayed by inactivity. <clears throat> and I've said to you recently, a good place to start is just hand someone one of these cards or a brochure that we have back there or a meeting announcement and try to initiate a conversation. Paul said about the lost, my heart's desire and prayer for God for them is that they may be saved. Romans 10 verse 1. That's zeal, not just claimed and discussed, but activated. And that ought to be the case with us. Zeal for attendance is commendable. However, 
the question must occur to each of us, where is our heart after we get here? See, attendance is getting here. That's part of it. The rest of it is your frame of mind, your attitude, your participation in what we're doing here once you are here. Every Christian should know that assembling with the saints to worship God and study His Word really matters. I'm going to be talking about that next Sunday morning. The value of attendance is not questioned, it's not debated, it's not denied. But it's not just something to talk about and show up for if our heart is not right while we're here. You see what I mean? Authentic biblical zeal causes us to concentrate and to pay good attention and to put our mind into the worship and into the songs and into everything we do once we are here. Attendance just gets you to the place. What do you do once you are here? Zeal for attendance is commendable, however, where is our heart once we get here. Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 24, I know you'll remember it. He said, The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now that's a passage that pertains to where your mind is once you get here. See what I mean? If I'm really zealous about attendance and worship, that zeal should cause me not only to get in the car and get here, but to be a participant. And I'm not talking about public participants, though we have good men who do that. I'm talking about where your mind is during the time that you're here. Reverence and fear and good attention. And you take that out of the building and put it into practice the way you live and think, and speak, and react. Would you let me add a related point? Thank you. Here's something I was guilty of for years, and I got over it. Don't come into this building and start counting how few who are here. And then fume and get depressed it will distract you from valuable worship time. And I'm telling you, <clears throat> I'm confessing, I used to do this many years ago. I'd come here like on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. I'd look around. Oh, there's not many people here. I can't focus on that and engage in worship at the same time. You come in on a Sunday night and you do a quick count of how few are here. You get irritated, you get distracted, and you may say to somebody who's sitting next to you, there's not many here. Change that dialogue and say to the person next to you, I'm glad you're here. See, this doesn't do you any good when you get here to go through the count. Didn't help me at all. It distracted me from good worship. It doesn't help the people who are absent. 
When you come to this place, put your mental energy and your concentration into worship and study and singing and God and His Son to get agitated and spend that time discouraged has no value. Authentic zeal not only gets us to the place, it gets our mind into worshiping God. Zeal for daily Bible reading. You knew that was going to come up. Zeal for daily Bible reading is commendable. However, what are you doing with what you read? To express excitement about daily Bible reading, and beyond that, to encourage others with enthusiasm to read the Bible daily, that's great. Let's do that. That's commendable. However, we must not talk about daily Bible reading with zeal that never shows up in what we do with what we've read. When I do my daily Bible reading on time with good thought and I keep up with the schedule and I keep up with the schedule all year and I'm never behind I'm not done. My zeal for daily Bible reading needs to show up by using what I've read in my life. Growth, improvement, knowledge that is put to use. For example, Darrell read to us, and we've been reading, if we're following the schedule that many of us use, about Jacob and Esau. Now, when I read that, what am I supposed to do with that? It, it, it describes what happened in time. What am I supposed to do with that? Cook up some stew? No, that's not the point for me. The point for me is God carried out His plan over time to bring Christ to the world through a nation and through a family, even though there were people on earth who were making ill-conceived choices and deceiving people, and doing things they ought not to do. Still, God's plan was carried out. That's what I get from today's reading. The Apostle Paul was zealous, but that zeal had impact in the discipline of his life. He said one time, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We may preach to others about evangelism and attendance and daily Bible reading, but are we preaching to ourselves? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. It brings us down to one 
question for tonight. Do I have what Paul describes? Do I have what Paul describes? Do you have what Paul describes? And may we know and remember that authentic zeal is not just an emotion or a mood or something that flares up like a fever. It will always show up in how we think, how we live, how we speak, and how we react to life and to others. While we are here, 